Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Now, I don't know what that was. Anybody? It reminded me of a face hugger from the Alien series. <laughs> well, hello and welcome back to the Bake Down podcast. This is Josh Lanty, founder of Bake with a Legend, the company that gives you the chance to bake alongside former great British Bake Off stars. Well, the semi-final was full of outstanding quality and perhaps we didn't see that matched in the final, but what an outstanding final it was. Giuseppe, Chiggs and Christelle all doing themselves proud and we could not tell who was going to be victorious until the very last second. A huge congratulations goes to Giuseppe and we know that you won't all agree and I was thrilled that once again I had Dan, Jane and Howard to reflect on the episode and a huge thanks must go from me to all three of them. They didn't miss a single episode and I will miss speaking to them every Wednesday to get this ready for you. Now, to all of you that have listened to not only this episode, but throughout the series, a huge thank you for all the kind messages you've sent. And to those of you that have emailed in, we really do appreciate it. And I'm sorry we couldn't get through all of you who contacted us. In return for supporting the podcast, we would love to see you at online classes. And there will never be a better time to book yourself in than by taking advantage of some of the Black Friday offers which are going to be live on our website this weekend coming. Make sure you're on our email list to be notified. You can add yourself via our online classes page, which is linked to in the podcast description. Now, Bake Off may be ending, but we are going out in style with Howard Middleton offering a free class webinar this Sunday. Absolutely free. He's going to be baking his Victoria sponge. We would love to see as many of you as possible on there. We are running out of space, however, so do sign up if you're hoping to join us. Again, you can look in the podcast description for your link or head to the homepage of our website. And so let's get to it. We had Jane, Dan and Howard all ready to give their opinion 
on an outstanding final. And once again, congratulations to Chiggs, Christelle, and most of all, Giuseppe. Well, for the final time this series, which is a very sad sentence to say, I am joined by Howard, Jane and Dan to reflect on the 2021 Bake Off final. Jane, this must bring back some memories. Just watching a final, of course, you had a different experience. People could come watch you. But this links into an email that we had, Barbara in Washington, Jane. She said, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. It's my favourite thing to listen to. I was wondering, could Jane tell me how they managed to have that many people at the final, including young children, yet managed to keep the winner a secret? I would have had a problem keeping quiet about it when my son was young. I'm afraid he'd have been sharing the news with everyone. So Jane, of course, couldn't have guests in the same way this year, but you did back in uh, in your year. Yes, fortunately we did, which is lovely because while you're in the tent, you're looking through those see-through sides that they, they put on the tent and you can see everybody outside having a wonderful time and you're in there struggling, and in my case, with a chocolate collar or something. So it's lovely to see them all out there and it makes it really special. Every time you go out to the loo, um, which you had to cross the across the gardens and the field, you'd hear a roar of ray, or if we were walking in and out of the tent, everybody would cheer. Wonderful atmosphere. How do you keep it a secret? Yes. I don't know, to be honest. I think people don't take small children if they know in a way. Oh, do you take your did you take yours, children? They were too young to really understand. Yeah. But one of the things they said to us, and I think it was so true, was they just sort of really got it drilled into our heads that if you if you ruin the series, the series is ruined. Do you know what I mean? And and you kind of like yeah. if you if you tell your hairdresser and it gets out, then you know it's people will not watch. Oh my goodness, you don't tell anybody outside of that select mm. little group. Uh, but, but also the thing is, people would say, "Oh my goodness, who won?" And then they go, no, 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 no. I don't want to know. It'll ruin it. So I don't think people really want to know. And I'm sure the press could find out if they wanted to. But you would be so vilified by all the fans of the show that you just don't tell anybody. I found the hardest thing was not telling people I was on the show. But once it's out there... People really don't press you that hard. You feel really bad when they go, oh, I hope you win. I've got you in the sweepstake. Go on, we're cheering for you. And you go, well, sorry to let you down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering how often Giuseppe even goes to the hairdresser for a risk of him being able to tell his hairdresser. He might not have been since the series finished, such to his long, luscious locks that he has been displaying all through the series. Dan, there's another question that has come in here to, to the podcast. And this one is from Lauren. Greetings from the US. I discovered the podcast recently. I absolutely love it. I'm listening along with the current series as well as going back to listen to past episodes. It's a highlight of my week. I look forward to joining you soon. I have a few questions for the bakers. How much time elapses between the end of a challenge and when judging begins? What do you think on that, Dan? Just because I think people are always wondering sort of, you know, how long are those bakes actually left for, say, after a signature before they they come and get inspected? Ah, well, so after the technical, the technical judging is instantaneous. They they judge it, or certainly on my season, they judged it straight away. For the signature and the showstopper, you are asked to leave the tent and then a team of people sort of clear up after you and clear down all the benches. And during that time, you have the option to put your bake in the fridge or even freezer if you want to before judging. So um, if people's cakes have not set 
before judging or, you know, something hasn't set completely, they've sort of got really no extra excuse because the, well, you do get an extra few minutes in, in the fridge or the freezer if you need it. But it depends from memory. It's all a bit, of a bit of a haze now. But from memory, the signature judging is fairly quick afterwards because you've got another challenge to complete that day. But the showstopper, you often break for lunch. You sort of do the challenge in the morning, then have lunch and then come back for judging because they have to film all the beauty shots of, you know, the slow pan of you gazing lovingly at your bake. And uh, sometimes it takes a surprisingly long amount of time to film that. It could take like 90 minutes to get everyone done. So, um, yeah, it can be quite a long time. And they're doing all the interviews as well. So when they drag you out and go, oh, my God, it was all a disaster. They have to interview most of you. So judging gets quicker as the series goes on and there are less of you to film or chat to at the beginning, goodness me, you're there all day, get the monopoly out and play a good game in the, the green room. You hang about for absolutely ages at the beginning of the series. I'm not going to get through all the emails that we've had that have come into the bait down at baitthelegend.com, but thank you to everyone that did. The next one is from Christopher in Minneapolis. Greetings, Josh and Bakers. Uh, I first just want to say how much I enjoy the podcast. It greatly shortens my commute. My favourite part of hearing all your personal experiences about what it was like to be in the tent. I look forward to buying packages as Christmas gifts for your online classes. That's very nice, Chris. We look forward to, uh, to seeing you. My question has to do with one of the issues that occurred on the Free From Week and has occurred at some point on every single season. When Jürgen dropped his vegan sausage rolls, I wondered yet again why all the baking trays on the show have no sides to them to prevent such baking catastrophes. I don't know if this is only a USA thing, but here we have what we call cookie sheets, but are actually multi-purpose baking trays, which have shallow edges, much shallower than jelly roll pans, and are used in the same way as the baking sheets I see on the Bake Off. The best part is that the parchment paper doesn't just slip off the edge, taking your baked goods with it. Is there anything like this in the UK, Howard? I think there are, yeah. I, I think sort of like a kind of almost like a shallow Swiss roll tin, something that's got a little bit of an edge to it. But I don't know. We, we do tend to use kind of flat baking sheets, baking trays, really. I, I didn't realise there was a, a, a difference between the UK and USA. But yeah, I have a preference for a flat one. And I, I take my bakes into my hand every time that they may slip off the edge because that's the way it is. Jane, why don't you think they use ones with edges uh, in the tent? I don't know. I have a preference. I don't have any flat ones. Um, I have a preference for the one with an ever so small lip about, I don't know, about a quarter of an inch or something like that. So either mine are like that or I use the Swiss roll tins or jelly roll tins or whatever it is you call them. So I've just got a, a mixture that I keep shoved in an oven and, and take them out and use whichever one. I don't know. Do you know, I didn't remember that they their baking sheets in the tent didn't have a lip on them. It would make sense, wouldn't it? I'm guessing the really good quality ones, and I don't think mine are necessarily, are that bit thicker and conduct the heat a bit better, whereas the ones I've got are thinner and you can hear them go bing if you put them into a hot oven and they sort of flex. So I'm guessing they give them better quality ones, but I always have huge envy when we do classes with American baking sheets because they seem bigger Maybe your ovens are bigger as well and you can get more things on. So when I'm putting things on two or three sheets, you're maybe using one or two sheets. So perhaps we ought to get some US baking sheets over here. Perhaps we ought to import them, Josh, and stamp them with Bake With A Legend and start a new line in things. True, we might be multi-millionaires in no time. Dan, have you got a contribution here? 
Yeah, so the reason that I like the flat sheets, and I've always used them since I got into baking properly, as it were. So first of all, the heat can get all the way around it very easily. It doesn't get sheltered by the side of the tin on any sides. And also if you're piping things like macaron, you're not leaning on a sort of sharp edge. It's just, it's all very flat. So uh, yeah, there is a trade-off. You know, if you're using a light piece of baking parchment, it can just fly off. But if you use silicon mat, they don't move. So that's, it's not really a problem if you use a silicon mat. True. Yeah. That's very true. And actually, you then just wash them and use them again. So silicon mats are brilliant. But just mm. don't cut on them as my husband has done. So I've got to actually. <laughs> Good advice there from, from Dan. I hope everyone will benefit from. The final one I will read out is from Katrina, who says, thank you so much for extending my enjoyment of the weekly podcast. Just as Jane shared how sad it feels to near the end when baking in the tent. I'm feeling sad this season of the show and podcast are nearly over. I wish I had enough Bake Off watching friends to have a fantasy league. May you run one next year. Well, of course. Howard, are we, we going to run a fantasy Bake Off next year with all the rules that we were told by Dan in Detroit? I think we should, yeah. I think we'd, I think we'd do quite well as well because we have got our kind of final three in the final three, haven't we? So, yeah. Jürgen aside from my point of view, yeah, yeah. I will concede. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> yes, we will, uh, Katrina. We will, we will do that, and uh, we look forward to having as many people join us as possible. On to the final, and just firstly, is it fair to say, Jane, that the quality was not quite the same as what we saw last week in in the semi final? Yes, I think that's fair to say. And I'm not 100% sure why. Things change and I know we shouldn't give any secrets away. And I'm sure things are different now because they're all in lockdown or bubbles. So there will be different rules. But certainly for our year, we didn't know what the final challenge was until we got to the semi-finals. Until we knew who the semi-finalists were, we didn't know what the bakes were for the final. Actually, you had a lot less time to even think about it than you did for other bakes. If that is the case, and I really don't know that that is the case, but if that is the case, then they have very little prep and practice time. And when you think of the practice that must have gone into the semi-final and the extraordinary complications of certainly the showstopper for this final I'm not surprised that they stumbled a little bit I was surprised that they stumbled on some of the simpler bakes um, for both the signature and the technical I was surprised about that I was screaming at my screen on a couple of occasions so I think it goes down to the prep and the amount of time they've had to do it and also the nerves and the complication, certainly, of the showstopper. So it was hard to beat after the semi-final, which was of such an extraordinary high quality. The final was going to be, I think, of a, a little lower quality because of its difficulty. Having said that, I loved it. I absolutely loved this final. I thought the showstopper was incredible and I would love to do all three challenges so I think you have to just make allowances for the fact that it is a final and they're all nervous and they've all got so far and they just want to get over the line and it all went a bit pear-shaped in places yeah I mean you get this in football to draw another analogy that sometimes you get a cagey final when people get to the, the bitter ends I think of sporting occasions there are invariably nerves in these situations 
Howard, what did you make of the voiceover right at the very start, which said this was going to be a final like no other? At that point, I wondered if they might bring back a previous baker who could have helped them or something. But in the end, we had three bakers and three challenges, and it was fairly similar. Yes, I, th- I think I love those voiceovers because they do often say things that, that you think, well, that's not really true, is it? So I, I suppose every final is like no other because it is a unique final. So it's more or less stating the obvious, but yeah, it was a final like no other, but it was pretty much a final. It was certainly was a final three bakers. We started off, of course, with a exquisitely decorated carrot cake as the signature challenge. And Dan, I'm going to assume that you have more experience of making carrot cakes than Chig seemed to. Yes, I think he's implied that this was only the second cake he'd ever made or something. He called it take two or something like that. Went for quite a classic carrot cake, although uh, the uh, editing was there to let us know immediately that there was way too much carrot in it. I'm surprised he went for a pineapple jam. I don't think pineapple jam is particularly special. I've got to be honest. It's uh, always a little bit of a letdown. But I thought his looked really nice. I loved what he did with the little candied carrots. I thought that was really pretty. He went for a slightly more abstract design uh, than the other two. And it's just a shame it was a little bit stodgy. Carrot cake has a tendency to be stodgy, especially because most recipes make it with a ton of oil and obviously all the moisture coming out of those carrots. But yeah, I think he went too far. And I think I, I think Paul used the word rubbery, which is never a good sign. That's always going to put you in a in slightly bad stead. Oh, it's it's not a good sign. I, I was sitting watching this with my wife, who makes a terrific carrot cake, but she puts 300 grams of carrot into her cake. So when we saw 900 grams, we were both a little bit unsure. Jane, how much carrot goes into your default carrot cake? can't really remember, but certainly nearer 300 than 900. But he had got two layers, so double that up, make it 300 in each layer, 600, 900, I think. Yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? I mean, Paul said, expect stodge. You expect a bit of stodge, but chicks had really gone too far. It was a shame, really. I mean, I, I understood from what they were saying that he had probably made one in practice, and that was his second one, which, again, goes to reinforce that probably they didn't know what was going to be in this challenge until very, very recently. Shame, wasn't it, really? I, I just would say... Crew, I think it was that said at the beginning, well, we're looking for inventiveness. Carrot must be the hero. Carrot cake is just gorgeous. I just think that you need to mess about with it too much. I know you have to put some stuff in it. I think if it being me, I wouldn't have put, I wouldn't have changed uh, my normal carrot cake recipe too much at all. And I just would have concentrated on the decoration. But of course, the brief always makes you want to go completely bonkers. And I think that's where a lot of them tripped up. Oh gosh, I've got so much to say about this challenge. I will let somebody else have another word in. I'll push to Howard then, just on Giuseppe's approach, which was different to what we saw from Chiggs and Christelle, because he seemingly wanted to do, you know, one particularly large sponge and then was gonna was gonna cut it after. What did you make of that? Oh, was he thinking? Mm. I just thought, goodness me. It was such an easy thing to kind of get right, to just think, I'm doing layers, I'm going to bake individual cakes because they'll bake quicker. But he took this very, very complicated approach of kind of putting, um, you know, a heat retention wrap around this side and a spike in the centre. And you think this could have been made so much easier for yourself if you'd just done it in separate tins. I think sometimes at home we get into the habit of doing things that are low effort, 
So for example, you bake one big cake, it's less effort because you're doing one cake, but then you've got like three hours to cool it down. So it doesn't matter. And actually that's a mistake I made in the tent, confusing things that are low effort at home with things that can be done quickly in the tent. And you're absolutely right, Howard. It would have been so much more sensible. They would bake quicker and cool quicker if you if you just did three individual cakes or whatever it was. Um, but and I did that in the tent. I cooked deep cakes and then tried to cut them in half. And I was like, it will save me time. And it didn't save me any time at all. I'm surprised he made it all the way to the final and still made that mistake, to be completely honest. I think that he's totally shot himself in the foot with that one, I think. There was also a moment where he didn't seem to be able to use his timer even after 10 weeks that he, he couldn't quite get get that right and get it to, to be set at the right thing. And I thought, oh, the previous nine weeks should have been enough uh, enough opportunity to learn that. We did see Chiggs finishing with a little bit of time to spare, looking really composed and Giuseppe going until the, the last seconds. And in the final, well, you never want to feel like you're running out of time, but probably in the final feels worse than ever. Oh, absolutely. I think, gosh, Giuseppe, I, I, when I saw how he was going to make that cake, I mean, the notes I've made and the, the sad faces and the exclamation marks I've written on my notes. I loved the idea of his flavours, fig and walnut jam, so lovely, look, night, blah, 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 blah. But an hour and 15 minutes to cook that cake, how was he ever going to get it? I think his baking head was off. You know, I don't think Giuseppe was really thinking this week. So, Giuseppe, what are you doing to me? I've got you down as my winner. But with Chicks, I think he's been really clever yet again for a, a novice baker. We've said it before. Everybody said it. He has paced himself really well. He's paced his bakes. He's he's chosen very sensibly to make sure he can get things done in time. We looked at his apple not falling far from the tree by making that wonderful biscuit structure that was Easy but effective. So I think where Chiggs has triumphed during the whole thing is he's timed things and planned it really well in the time. I did the same as Dan. I, I made three big old cakes that took forever. Actually, Paul said they were disgusting as well outside the tent in our botanicals week, I think. And they just do. They take forever to cool. And it's the one thing I did learn is... Do it in layers. Do it the thinner, the better. You've seen Christelle making flat things and punching them out, cutting them out to make shapes. Yeah, Giuseppe, Giuseppe. But Chig's master of timing and to be applauded. And I thought his, no matter what it tastes like, I thought it looked lovely. I thought it was great to do it in a square tin and it looked splendid. Well done, Chig's. I think, yeah, I didn't like the, I didn't like the sound of the jam either very much, but there we go. It was, it was different, which is what they were asked to do, I suppose. One thing that horrified me this week that wasn't Giuseppe related was Christelle made a curd. I believe it was an orange curd she made just in a straight saucepan. She didn't use a bain-marie or a double boiler to our American friends. And I've just I've never done that in my life. And to me, it looked a bit scrambled. That didn't look great. Did Mm. that set off heart palpitations for anyone else? I've I've done it in a pan like that. If you do it low and slow, it's the kind of Nigella Lawson way of doing it. But yeah, you do run the risk of scrambling so you have to do it you have to really really keep an eye on it quicker though right yeah definitely quicker oh much quicker and and actually if you put cornflour in it one challenge lots of us made curd and i did mine over double boiler without any cornflour and everybody else was doing it in a pan and i was still there stirring what seemed like an age later so yeah put cornflour in and it'll stabilize it a bit i don't like it quite so much with cornflour but it does the job so maybe there were a positive and negative comments really for all of them in terms of the feedback weren't there Howard I mean Chiggs was told by Paul that it looks good there was nice 
pipe work, but there was a bit of storage, a little bit rubbery. We had Christelle. Paul criticised in some ways the height of the cake, even though, you know, Prue was incredibly complimentary about the flavour. And then even with Giuseppe, you know, Paul was critical, you know, the, the movement really in the cake due to due to the heat. So at that point, it, it felt very much open, didn't it? No one had sort of raced ahead in this final. No, absolutely. And and I think, you know, Christelle was was obviously preempting the technical challenge, saying that she'd not want to technical challenge. I think the boys over at the beginning said Crystal was the only one who'd not won a technical challenge. And you sort of think, I think Crystal might win this technical challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you certainly did. And, and, and lo and behold, um, so it came. Um, before we move on to talking about the technical challenge, I mean, how wonderful was it to see Giuseppe's father, Dan? What, what did you make of Giuseppe's father's message? Oh, really, really lovely. And I think that I enjoyed that a lot because I relate to Giuseppe very much, you know, with uh, parents coming to the the winter of their lives, his sort of relationship with his father. And I, I think he said something like, my father says I've surpassed him, which is an absolute lie. And we saw obviously some of the lovely things that his father had made over the years. I understand maybe now why Giuseppe is as good as he is. He obviously had uh, someone to look up to and probably learned a lot sort of through osmosis, if you like, uh, just from being around his father. Um, but yeah, that was really sweet. And as much as I like Giuseppe all already I thought it was a really lovely humanizing moment I really enjoyed that it really warmed me to Giuseppe in that little montage it was a a really lovely uh, moment and and nice to see some uh, video messages I guess invariably this series there has been less of that kind of content and you know Covid times of filming but it was it was lovely to see some video messages that come in and the other thing I was going to say on on this challenge which is we know it's never always exactly a minute left when we see Noel and Matt say, you've got one minute left. But my gosh, Giuseppe's cake was bare at the time they said there is one minute left. I mean, it was it was implausible to me, Howard. I don't know what you thought. It was implausible that he could have done everything in that in that single minute. Yeah, we're probably giving too many secrets away. But I think I think we should stress the timing is definitely accurate. So, I mean, if they say there's a minute left, there is only a minute left. It's just that the shot may be from a bit earlier than that, or quite a lot earlier than that. And I think that was the case with uh, with Giuseppe's. Yeah, definitely not, definitely not a minute left. So I, in my season, I made a towering ginger cake that was all red hot when I was trying to ice it. And I iced it when there were less than five minutes left. And I had a special tool to ice my cake really quickly. And the camera crew were amazed at how quickly I'd done it. And that was about five minutes it took me. And I think they were genuinely amazed that I'd done it that quickly. So I don't think it was a minute. I don't think that that is possible. But actually, his finished cake didn't look that leaky. I think Christelle's looked, I always feel bad saying worse, but uh, it was more sort of lopsided and bulgy. So uh, I think he surprisingly got away with that. I absolutely agree. When you looked at Christelle's and she'd got dowels in it, so we haven't much talked about her cake, which I love the idea of the pistachio and the mascarpone. Well done, Christelle. But when you looked at hers, that bottom sponge from one of the shots that we saw looked as though it was completely flat on one side. It it did look dreadful, considering she had the opportunity to... uh, Sorry, Christelle, if you're listening. (laughs) It did look awful. Now, maybe they just showed us some bad shots. But yeah, I thought it looked worse than Giuseppe's, to Mm. be honest. Now, we are going to move on to the technical challenge in in just a moment. But before we do, Jane, there was a piece of jewellery that caught your attention on this week's episode. Well, was it jewellery? I'm not sure. 
<laughs> it was only around Prue's neck. I mean, I love Prue and I love the way she dresses. And oh my goodness me, she's fantastic. But what was that necklace? I was trying to work out, was it a big red spider? I, it was, you know, one of those spiders that got tiny body and those great, huge legs. <laughs> now, I don't know what that was, anybody. <laughs> I'm, mm, it I'm, reminded me of a face hugger from the Alien series. <laughs> <laughs> That fell off the face. (laughs) It was bizarre. It was, I mean, look, Prue has a fantastic sense of style and she wears things that, you know, as someone half her age, I wouldn't wear things that sort of outlandish and fun. So like kudos to to Prue for having a personality and wearing it on the outside. But yeah, that was, that was a particularly wild one. I didn't, I didn't really (laughs) understand that. No, I do hope she did choose it. She's not actually got a kind of crew of stylists who are there saying, you're wearing this this week, Prue. <laughs> and she thinks, what? <laughs> <laughs> and we'll move on to the technical challenge. How are they were asked to make 12 Belgian buns? What's your Belgian bun experience, Howard? Do you know, I, sometimes I think, have I lived in, in a cave or something? I'd never heard of a Belgian bun. And then what? you do, I know, and you do a search and it's like I've literally been living under a rock. They're quite, they're quite well known. Yes. It's like someone said to me, you know, uh, oh, yes, we're doing Madagascan muffins. And you think, oh, I'm not quite sure what a Madagascan muffin is. So you then search for it. And uh, but Belgian buns, I've never seen one. Apparently you can get them in Greg's and all sorts. So, yeah. You're too distracted by your vegan sausage rolls when you're popping into Greg's, Howard. You obviously have eyes for only the vegan sausage rolls. Yeah. Um, Dan, are you familiar with, with Belgian buns? Have you made some Belgian buns? Yeah, my mother used to go to the baker every Saturday and Belgian buns were one of the things that were in there. So I'm yeah, I'm familiar. They're very, very similar to cinnamon rolls, to be completely honest. It's just obviously with, uh, it's usually sort of sultanas and it was on this occasion, it was lemon curd. I'm not sure if lemon curd is actually traditional. I'm not sure what the most traditional one is, but um, yeah, it's sort of, it's a sultanery filled cinnamon roll basically. And yeah, it does usually have that uh, sort of half glacé cherry on the top which makes it look, well, I'll leave my father to comment on that one. (laughs) Is it a cousin of the Chelsea bun, could you say, Jane? Is there a relationship there? Sort of. um, I would say it's a cross between a Chelsea and a Panaraison, in a way. Yeah, just thinner than a Chelsea bun. I would have thought, even if you hadn't seen one, which is epi... Oh, I don't know. How long has he been living over here? Well, not as long as Howard. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, they're very, very popular uh, Belgian buns. They're absolutely wow. delicious. And I would have thought they should all have been able to make them, to be honest. I love a Belgian bun. I'd, I'd, particular, I'd prefer a bun to a cake. So Chelsea buns, Belgian buns, bath buns, something completely different. Just a straight hot cross bun, any bun. I love a bun and stick a bit of icing on it. Frankly, I'm in heaven. So um, a Belgian bun is absolutely delicious and and very like, as you say, which I think some of the bakers said, very like a cinnamon roll. It's just you're putting a different filling in and then you're shoving on some icing and the cherry sort of makes it stand out. Whatever your father might say, Dan, I I can only imagine it would be the same as my father might have said in his day. No, I just, why were they thrown by this? Again, it's the final people flip out. And I think the only one that really managed it 
particularly well was Christelle. And, and just to let everyone who is listening and wondering where they can get their Belgian buns, you can get them at Greg's. They were briefly off the menu during coronavirus when there was a limited menu at uh, Greg's, but they were back as of last September. Can we guess the price of a of a Belgian bun, Howard, at Greg's? I don't, I don't know. Um, a pound, one fifty, something like that. I was that's a say big difference, Howard. Hang on, hang on. That's a big difference, Howard. You can't say a pound, a pound fifty. I reckon. Right, eighty p from Jane. I think slightly less than a pound. Yeah, or maybe just a pound. I don't know. Pound, Howard. What are you going to go for in the end? One fifty. Wow. Ninety five p for your Belgian bun. Oh, you win, Dan. Well, I went over. I think that the Price is Right rules are if you go over, you're disqualified. So I think you technically win, Jane. Oh, no, 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 Dan. You won. <laughs> well, this is the big one, more important than predicting. Where do you buy your buns, Howard? What to, to be fair, we don't really buy cakes from shops, no. do we? Let's be honest. No, that's we, true. That's so, true. Well, Howard... Doesn't make his own Belgian buns, Dan. We realise that. So that's if true. Do you know, I, I honestly, I feel as if I'm on the Truman Show or something. I feel <laughs> you all kind of conspired to create this thing called a Belgian bun, and you managed to get it on Bake Off and on the internet. And I have just never ever heard of it. Well, Howard, um, Dan is going to be doing a class teaching Belgian buns. Mm, uh, come along. Um, this coming Sunday is sold out, but we will make room for Howard. We have never. Had that in the uh, over 18 months of online classes that we've had a, another baker in the background uh, coming along. You could be there, Howard, with your camera off and ask really difficult questions and try and make it uh, uh, an awfully difficult for Dan. Although, Josh, you say that we've had a ne- never had another baker, but that might not be entirely true, might it, Howard? No, what a shock. Yes, to discover that Lizzie and Freya were on one of our webinars. Yeah. Oh, were they? Yes before the programme was broadcast. So they've got this lovely shot that they put on on social media this week of them making the uh, blueberry jam tarts that we did earlier this year. And they'd secretly kind of enrolled and baked along with me. And there I am smiling in the background on their laptop. Oh Wow. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know this. How exciting. I will make yeah. it both. So that was that was between the filming and the airing. They yeah. went and stalked a bunch of bakers, and they stalked Howard, and they went on Howard's class. And they have yeah, hey. check out their socials. It's really funny. Hey, Lizzie Frey, if, you, if you're listening, we, we love you here at Bait with a Legend, and, and hopefully we can work together one day. So uh, we'd love to hear from that. That's, that's terrific news. Right, but let's get back, Jane, to these Belgian buns. Hmm. I'm just actually sorry, BBC. Are we other television stations are available? I'm just looking at BBC Good Food and there's a good, they've got pictures of Belgian buns on there because of course they do have a recipe and they look as burnt as Giuseppe's so <laughs> I don't know oh, sure, should I not say that and they've got ice, icing covers a multitude of sins but oh the one in the front that has me nice looks shockingly overbaked um, <laughs> sorry BBC I will um, say though they're quite pale like Belgian buns cinnamon rolls those sort of sweetened doughs you want them actually quite pale, and I overbake them the first few times I make them. It's a very, very easy mistake to make, and I, I totally understand why Giuseppe did that, especially if he didn't know what it was supposed to look like. So I really feel for him because I think the other two were at a definite advantage for this. Well, what, what I wanted to say here is even when he was getting feedback 
Paul was saying these are massively overbaked. He, he looked almost a touch surprised, even at that point. I think Giuseppe's a great baker. Uh, one could have forgiven Chicks in a way because of his lack of experience. And sometimes this is, I think, the first time for him that it's really come to the fore. But Giuseppe's baked bread. And you know that something that is so thin cooks really quickly. I cannot understand why he just left them in so long. I just, he said the worst thing is that they are underbaked. Well, there's underbaked and baked to a crisp. I'm still spluttering with my disbelief. I, I don't understand. How he left them in so long, he must have known they'd be dry. But, you know, I think that there's something with human psychology that the more you look at something, the less objective you're able to be about it. You just sort of get more and more confused as time goes on. And I find that, for example, if I'm editing a photo, if I'm looking at it for more than five minutes, I'd lose all sense of what is, you know. And if you're literally just standing there staring at the oven, I can understand how you could be like, oh, maybe a bit more brown. And especially if you've got the oven light on it, you you know, maybe it looks a slightly different colour. So I can totally understand how it happens but you can open the door on bread it's not like a cake yeah. where you're looking you know i just thought his nerves or his head again had completely left him and he said also he'd never made curd before uh, that yeah that that I, <laughs> I thought how can that possibly be true yeah with all the cakes and things maybe you know a lot of italian baking you don't see a lot of curd in the cakes i'm, I'm surprised because Oh, just my heart broke when I saw that because they looked beautiful. They were wonderfully shaped. They were the best shaped. Oh, dear. I was left speechless, really. I was so sad to see those barbecued buns. Barbecued Belgian buns. That is not a class you'll be teaching, Dan. You're just doing the Belgian buns. I'm going to go a bit more classic than that, yeah. (laughs) And, um, of course, Dan is teaching this as part of our series we've had of of teaching something from the Bake Off every single week on the following Sunday, which has been the most amazing set of classes. And we've had 14 uh, bakers from around the world joining every single week, and they've been joined by others, and every class has been full. But, Dan, you are going to do these Belgian buns again, so do check out the website bakewithlegend.com slash online classes to see our latest classes yes jane how, how are you going to get that done in two hours dan are you doing a single proof which you can i've done single proof chelsea buns are you doing it as a single proof you managing to get it done in two hours no i'm just gonna <laughs> ramp- <laughs> um i'm just gonna ramp up the yeast a little bit and it should be fine uh it might have a slightly shorter first proof but yeah we're gonna go sort of i'm feeling christmasy right now i've been listening to mariah so we're, uh, we're going to go with a cranberry and orange vibe, and then we're also going to have some time at the end, and we're going to make a little fudge. And you can make a nice plain vanilla one if you like, but I'm going to make a rum and raisin one because I, that's my favourite. So we'll, we're, we're, we're getting Christmassy already in here. Sounds delicious. Yes, I mean, I think when we do our donuts, and we're doing a donut class at some point, aren't we, Josh? Soon? Yeah, 4th uh, of December, sold out. Oh, sold out donuts. Oh, oh well. We managed to, yeah, cheat and put the extra bit of yeast in and get it done, pr- double proved in two hours. So, oh, that should be a lovely class, Dan. Actually, mm. once made, everybody will know what a Belgian bun is because they are so young. We look forward to seeing Howard from Sheffield loitering in the background of, of that <laughs> one with you, Dan, um, as we do this. Um, Howard, this was one of those where, with Chiggs's location in the back of the tent, he had sensed, I think, that he possibly got this a little bit wrong. He could see what was going on ahead of him in the way that he was rolling it. I, th- I think so, yeah. Although it did, I think, give him a little bit of extra confidence when Giuseppe took his out of the oven because he said they look burnt. 
So, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you sort of feel that if you've not had a good bake and then you're comparing yourself with someone else and they've had an even worse bake, you sort of think, oh, there's still a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was exactly how, how it felt. It was an unusual moment to see one baker sort of looking at another. But I think it was just an absolute initial genuine reaction to, to how it looked. Well, let's just talk about the feedback they, they got here, Dan. And, and of course, it was Christelle's first technical challenge success which as Howard said seemed to have been teed up at least two or three times in the preceding half an hour of the of the episode but she she was a deserving winner of this technical challenge yes absolutely I think it's maybe slightly less impressive to win a technical when there are only three of you there but it was still a technical win we'll count it as such I think uh Chig's obviously uh his were quite misshapen and Giuseppe's were straight up burnt so uh yeah it was I don't want to take anything away from Christelle, but she was kind of winner by default because two other people did kind of rather mess up theirs. But yeah, they're t- I think they're teeing it up to be a very equal final going into the showstopper because of course they all got two star bakers. They've all got two handshakes and then uh, they've all got at least a technical win. So I think they're just trying to set up how even it was. I think they said at the beginning, it's the most even final we've ever had. I don't know if that's technically true. I think in our season, each of the finalists had two star bakers as well. So it has been pretty close in other seasons, but yeah, they were definitely setting up that showstopper to be the, the make or break and for it to be the, uh, who you know basically whoever wins the showstopper wins the whole thing. And Jane, what did you make of, of Christelle's effort here? Obviously she, she went on to win. What did you make of her bake? I mean, she obviously knew what she was doing. They looked like a great colour. I just wanted to comment on her icing. I'm a great one for just drizzling icing over. So she said, I've got to put them in the freezer before I can ice them. Well, you can, You do have to if you're putting on a cream cheese frosting or a butter frosting, or, which you don't on Belgian buns. You put on a either a glacé or you usually a glacé, which is just a really simple icing, sugar and milk or water or fruit juice or whatever you want to do. And... I would always put mine on when the, my buns are hot. <laughs> when my buns are hot, if you'll pardon me. <laughs> no. um, because actually you're not going to melt that icing. It's just going to make it dry. So usually I'm in a hurry and I think, oh my goodness, right, slap on slap on some icing and then you can still eat the buns a little bit warm if you want. Um, so there was absolutely no need to put those in the freezer before you put your glacé icing on because all it does is dry it out to make it have a little bit of a crust a, a bit sooner so just if any of you are going to be icing buns um, and you're worried that your buns are warm and you've got to pop out to the shops or you're in a hurry you can put a glacé icing straight on top of a warm bake and I do it all the time just because I'm usually in a hurry she didn't need to put it in the freezer and putting your bread in the freezer was danger that it might seize up a little bit and tighten up the texture so I just wanted to comment on that really I just don't didn't think that she needed to put them in the freezer I think they've all got so used to putting things in the freezer to cool them down that again they it's the final they all took their baking heads off a bit I think If we weren't sure who was going to be the potential winner after the signature challenge, we still didn't really know after the technical challenge. And we headed to this really fun showstopper, which was, of course, a Mad Hatter's tea party display where the bakers had four and a half hours and were being asked to demonstrate four different baking disciplines. Dan, this was an enjoyable one. Would you have relished the challenge of doing this, especially for a final? Oh, God, absolutely not. 
Now, I really struggle with decoration. It's not something that comes naturally to me. I'm more about sort of the technique of making things. That's the part that I'm good at and the part I enjoy. So this would have been absolutely horrifying challenge to me to try and make that. It was four different baking disciplines. Is that correct? And obviously you had to form some kind of coherent display of a Mad Hatter's Tea Party. That's a lot of work. I don't feel like they had a whole lot of time to do it. And multitasking isn't maybe my greatest strength. I think Jane maybe could speak better to that. Because I remember in your final, you had to make a whole picnic basket full of things, didn't you? Mm, um, we did five things, I think we had to make. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah, I can't remember. Well, you can speak to the complexity of that in a minute, I'm sure. Um, I thought it was definitely a challenge that lent itself towards the people who are better at decoration. And uh, I thought Christelle's was absolutely stunning. I thought her display was absolutely stunning. We know that she's very, very good at the decoration. Obviously, we can come on to the baking elements in a minute, uh, which are a little bit more interesting. But I thought uh, Chig's obviously struggled with that. Giuseppe maybe more in the middle. But then the interesting part was, of course, when we came down to taste all of the things. And uh, not everything even got tasted, did it, unfortunately? Well, how was... Let's kick off maybe with with Chiggs talking about his showstopper in a little bit of detail. I'm personally not sure about blue Cheshire cats. Do you have an opinion on this, Howard? No, I, I always thought the Cheshire cat was a sort of orangey colour, but maybe I, I, I don't I know. I thought it was pink. Is What's it? Purple? It? purple? <laughs> uh, well, the original, uh, you see, you're, you're probably thinking about the film versions, aren't you? I'm thinking about the books which are illustrated in, in black and white. So I'm just applying whatever colour I think it should have. Google yeah, it for us, Jane. Google I, I, it. Purple and pink. Yeah, purple and pink. Really? Really? Yeah, yeah. well, apart from the black and white versions, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> certainly not blue. But then artistic license. You could go blue, couldn't you? Leicester, Leicester City football colours, I think Chick said. Yeah. What is it with boys and football? I don't understand. Oh, no, no. Mm, no, I'm not, not, don't not sure about that. Not sure about that at all. Um, he's not even a Leicester City supporter, according to what he said. He wouldn't reveal who he supported um, at that point. Um, anyway, he had a blue Cheshire chat. He had a jammy Dodger playing cards. He had a, what else did he have here? He had the chicken and mushroom pocket watches, didn't he? And the, what was it the toadstool brioche? Have I missed anything, Howard? No, I think, I think that's right. I think the only thing that was missing was the grin on the Cheshire cat. I couldn't understand why if he'd got a little bit of time, that he couldn't have just cut out something out of some white fondant or something. It, it just never seemed to have a grin planned for it. And then Prue said, I'm missing the grin. Quite an omission, isn't it? That's the, yeah. whole, the whole thing is about the cat is its smile, because it's invisible apart from its smile quite a lot. So you're like, where's the smile? <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought, I thought it, again, he, he took a fairly manageable approach. He'd, he'd got some techniques that he'd, he'd worked through. Um, quite a lot of use of the edible pen. I thought it was interesting. I have to say, generally, across the board, I didn't think people blew me away with their kind of creative flavours. I thought this was an opportunity to be a bit wackier with some of the flavours and just be a bit, take a few more risks. But as Jane said earlier, it may be that they were really up against planning time for this and just thought, what can I come up with that I, I know I can do within the time rather than pulling out all the stops in terms of creativity. I did love his playing cards. I thought the playing card biscuits were particularly beautiful. But I think if there's sort of one thing that was symbolic of his whole bake, it was his beautiful playing cards. And they said, we can't taste the elderflower or the pepper. And he just thought, it sounds exotic and exciting. 
but actually it's just a, a strawberry jam or whatever. So I think that was kind of, it was beautiful, but it was just, I think, let down by some of the flavors just a little bit. But I think everybody had a little bit of a wobble in this one. Everyone had things that weren't perfect. Jane, I'm sure you want to talk about your favorite. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going back to my Cheshire cat. Howard, going back to some more traditional pictures of the Cheshire cat, sort of way, way back. It's more of a sort of tabby cat. So we're all sort of gingery with some black stripes on. So, yeah, I think I think it was the more recent films that have used artistic licensing, uh, purple, purple and pink. So It's um, because I'm so young, Jane. I only oh, remember yeah. the film because I'm so young. Of course, <laughs> um, of course. And then Howard is so old because he only remembers black and white prints. Um, <laughs> I am the oldest here, just pointing that out. So no, no offence to Howard. <laughs> I mean, I loved this. Ch- I thought this challenge was wonderful and could be so, so fun. And I think they all did really, really well, to be perfectly honest, in the time and probably with the amount of planning and practice they had. So credit to them. And I think as a final showstopper, uh, I thought it was a lovely challenge. I thought it was lovely and I would like to do it. I mean, how fun if you had a kid's tea party and you did this. Bit too much of the edible pen for Chigs. Yeah, his biscuits were great, but we make jammy dodges all the time. I'm sorry, Chigs, but clever. I think they must have all been told they've got to do a biscuit, they've got to do a bread, because they all did a bread, didn't they? So I don't think we got the full brief, unsurprisingly. But Giuseppe, I thought he did a good job. I I mean, he freaked out about his oven, which they made a big, big play of. Now I've got these Neff ovens, as in, and and the things annoys me about them, Neff, please listen is you can't use a grill with the door open. Now, we all grill our sausages with the door open. Um, and no, it, it turns it off and it says, shut the door. So I do feel sorry for him that the door was propped open and then the oven didn't work. And he, he seemed really stressed, didn't he? Bless him. And then the, the voiceover, this could lose him 15 precious minutes. Well, actually, there is a fast heat function on the, on, on the ovens that they use. It wouldn't have taken long to get it up to 160 degrees to bake his cakes. I mean, it was all, I think the whole thing about the final we've got to remember is you don't see all the negative comments because they don't want to humiliate anybody in the final. And I know we all had, in my final, we all had negative comments that you didn't see. And it builds the the tension towards the end of, who's going to win? Who's going to win? But if you'd heard that, I don't know, I'd dropped all my scones in the sink, then you'd have known that I wasn't going to win. I didn't actually mail dropped my scones in the sink, but there we go. So there was an awful lot of editing to build the tension, which I have no problem with. But I, yes, I did like, I, I liked Giuseppe's, but I didn't love it. The hazelnut giant mushroom and dough mushroom. Well, it was bread with Nutella in it, really, wasn't it? But he made his own. You masterfully I mean, simplified it there, Jane, but yeah, yes. Yeah, well, it was hazelnut and chocolate. Well, grab your Nutella and, and make some make some bread. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's just funny because obviously, um, yeah, a, a lot of us use Nutella as a bit of a baking hack because it's a great way to get chocolate and hazelnut. And it's a flavour that everyone likes, but it's just, yeah, it's a bit cruel to say it's just oh, sorry. Yes, Nutella. Sorry, it was a bit cruel. <laughs> <laughs> you have to edit that out, Josh, don't. No, it's um, funny. It leaves <laughs> it. <laughs> and the, the, the panna cotta, I mean, a lovely mango and passion fruit panna cotta. Should it have had a baked element? Oh, it did. It had brandy snaps with it, didn't it? Yes. The asparagus and pea caterpillar. Nice idea. I just wasn't blown away, to be honest, by Giuseppe's. And yeah, everybody who's listened to this podcast knows that for, uh, right from the beginning, I've championed Giuseppe. I'm not sure that he did 
he did enough really there. And he got himself so stressed. I was going to say so stressed was he that we saw him speaking in Italian. He, he forgot where he was, <laughs> didn't he? They had to use subtitles. They had to I mean, use subtitles. I know they didn't. Oh, yes. I, but, but they all they all mucked up along, along the line. I really didn't like all the use of the edible pen, too much edible pen for chicks. I, I sense, Jane, you, you hoped for more. That's I what hoped I'm taking from for this. more, and I was convinced. I was convinced that Christelle had done enough. I was before judging. Oh, well, I was before judging. <laughs> I was a bit surprised when she was talking about her focaccia. And we all make focaccia. I love focaccia. That she went, I didn't realise until, you know, earlier on in the series, that focaccia had so much oil in it. I am going to shove three gallons of oil at my bake. And, and <laughs> goodness me, I, I think local Waitrose will be out of oil. It was swimming, didn't wasn't it? Why didn't she know that focaccia had lots of oil in it, but not in the way that she added oil to it, which I think was her downfall. But anyway, I'm sure we'll get onto that. I was convinced, one, because her display was lovely. Two, because I thought she was really quite clever and, and we know, decorating her forte. I certainly didn't think Giuseppe was going to win at that stage. You know, he, it was all a bit safe. I think, actually, everyone did fine. But in a final, we like to see, we really love to see someone come through and emphatically win. And I think that was slightly missing from this. I don't think anyone did badly. I just think it would have been lovely to have seen someone come through and just leave no doubt that they were the winner. Yeah, it was a shame that that didn't happen, maybe. But I think they all still did well. Dan, you, you have done a terrific Focaccia class. And if Christella's listening, mm. and she wants to come along, mm. you'd welcome her, right? Absolutely. Um, but it surprised me, actually, because I remember Christelle made her focaccia with, was it the grapes and feta or something? And that was, I thought that sounded lovely. So yeah, she, me too. She yeah. doesn't really have any excuse for not getting it right, does she? Because she did well the first time. But yes, she said, oh, I'm going to put it in the oven for 15 minutes. And I thought, and how long the second time in the oven? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? That's not going to be cooked. Well, I could sort of tell it was doomed from the start. And I thought maybe, I assumed that it was going back in the oven or something. I, yeah, I was not surprised when that was a raw bit of rubber because uh, I didn't think for a second that would possibly bake in 15 minutes. Also, if she was going to do focaccia, regardless of her bake and, and what went wrong, was maybe make the clock face in the modern way that we're doing with focaccia with bits of vegetables and been a bit creative with it rather than, yeah, I don't I don't. But again, going back to time for prep, and I suspect they really didn't have lots of time for prep. Well, Howard, you have filled all our listeners with joy <sighs> and humour during the, the last nine episodes. And I hope that today on our 10th and final episode of a series, you have got something in the way of an impressive and Howard's hump to, to regale to us. Yes, my hump this week is with the Beatles. Mm. Nothing against the Beatles. The, <laughs> the Beatles, nothing against the Beatles as such. It's more about the Radio Times. For so for those who don't know, Radio Times is a UK TV listings magazine, and for many years it celebrated the Bake Off final by having the four semi-finalists on its cover. So last year, Peter was there with Dave, Laura, and Hameen, and of course in um, 2016. Candice, Andrew and Selassie had the honour of appearing with Jane. This year, for some unfathomable reason, it's got the Beatles on the cover. 
So I just think this has been like a fantastic series. It's been full of joy and for want of a better phrase, if any Fab Four deserve to be on the cover, it should have been Jürgen, Giuseppe, Crystal and Chiggs. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. It was a great privilege to be on the front cover of the Radio Times, even if our photograph is actually ghastly and we look as though we've just escaped from some horrible Halloween movie. But... God, the photographer got so cross with us because we were all so new to this. He was very, very, very grumpy with us. Um, but we got invited along to the Radio Times covers event where you go and meet all sorts of wonderful people. I met um, Stephen, the wonderful Stephen Hawking, because anybody who'd been on the cover could go and get presented with their framed cover at uh, Claridge's in London. A fantastic event. And I'm really, really sad that this year's semi-finalists didn't get to experience that absolute one of the fantastic things that you get invited to do if you reach the end of Bake Off. Um, Are you just saying this to upset me and Howard, Jane? Yeah, Howard. absolutely. So you can go <laughs> you've gone green, you've possibly gone green with that little bit of jealousy. I feel there's probably an internet website out there, Dan, where we could send you a photo and they could Photoshop it and we'll get it printed and put in a frame if you'd like. I think that would make me feel better. I would appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. Howard got some Twix bars. Jane got some <laughs> some moist cake mix. Rebecca got I'll see if I can arrange a photoshopped Radio Times Lovely. cover for you. I'll frame Howard. it and put it on my piano. Thank you. <laughs> Endeavour to, to do that. Well, Howard, there was a little bit of a surprise when we found out who the winner of the Great British Bake Off 2021 was it was Giuseppe in the end yeah it was a surprise so I think sadly Christelle the focaccia let her down Giuseppe's been consistent all the way through he's done some fantastic bakes right from week one and although he seemed to have a bit of a wobbly final came out victorious so huge congratulations and um well done to Jane for being right again well on to Jane Jane you must be pleased you predicted Giuseppe at the outset, and so it proved. Yeah, I'm utterly delighted, and I have to, I have to disagree. I don't think it was a surprise at all. I think for Giuseppe, he may not have had his best couple of days in the tent, but I think um, for normal mortals, he, he, he had a fantastic day. Um, so maybe the editing made it look as though he wasn't quite as good. I still think Mr. Spoon probably swung it probably his way. <laughs> no, he was a great baker. He He's multi-talented. He's good across all disciplines. He's tall. He's utterly likeable. My daughter has an Italian boyfriend. So, you know, I'm completely delighted to, if you like, keep Bake Off in the family. Does that count? The fact that he's Italian and my daughter's <laughs> Slight bit of prejudice. I'm just, no, okay, I'm, I'm thrilled. And of course, okay. yeah, utterly delighted to be right as well. So well done, Giuseppe, yes. yes. Well done, Giuseppe. And, and Dan, Giuseppe, being crowned champion, what did you make of that? Yeah, I don't think it's actually a surprise. He didn't have the best final. I think they sort of, I think they tried to make it, in the edit, they tried to make it seem like it was very, very close. So maybe he, you know, they tried to, to make it seem like he didn't do as well as he actually did. Um, but I think he was the rightful winner, actually. I think over the season, he's been absolutely incredible. And um, some of his elements were lovely. They couldn't get enough of that panna cotta, could they? Although being an Italian, he'd be 
wouldn't be able to go back to Italy if he got panna cotta wrong. But yeah, no, I thought he had some really delicious elements. It looked beautiful. And yeah, for Giuseppe, it wasn't the best week, but it was still a fantastic week and a well-deserved win. So uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing a lot more of Giuseppe in the future, hopefully, because uh, he's really an, an exceptionally talented baker. Well, you have put it so succinctly and wonderfully, Dan. Uh, congratulations to Giuseppe. Well, what an unbelievable series the 2021 Great British Bake Off was. It was the second that has been filmed in this post-COVID, slightly strange world. We are, we are all finding ourselves in, but once again brought huge enjoyment uh, all across, not only, of course, the UK, but all across the world. And, and thank you also to all of you that have uh, listened to us um, for all of these 10 weeks, so many of you have been kind enough to email or, or message us on social media. You've been enjoying it. And we have really enjoyed doing this podcast for you. We would love to see you and meet you online. And uh, as you have heard, our webinars are attended by such illustrious alumni as Lizzie and Freya. And Howard, you have got a terrific webinar coming this Sunday for us. Just tell us what we're going to be doing. So we've got, we're going to be doing Victoria sponge, Victoria sandwich cake, and uh, I'm, I'm going very, very traditional with a, a, a jam and creme chantilly inside. You can even dust your icing sugar using a doily if you want Ooh. that very old-fashioned look. Oh, very lovely. I, have, I haven't had one like that since my grandma did it. <laughs> well, Dan, if you want to attend, it is Sunday at 3.30 UK that is 10.30 Eastern, and we would love to see as many of you there. That is, of course, absolutely free, but places are limited on this one, so do sign up. If you go to just our homepage, bakelegend.com, you will see a button that says free webinar. Click on that. You can send it to everyone you like. And, of course, it is Black Friday uh, sales this weekend. We have some amazing offers on vouchers and our classes so do check our website out this weekend for some of the best value you'll ever find on coming to attend our classes if you've never quite got yourself around to attending one we would absolutely love for you to do so dan's booster noel class has sold out three times so is on for a fourth time so do do check that out on the 19th of december and jane we have had to put your christmas cake class up such as was it successful when we put it up so there is so much more as well. Howard, you've got your Stalin and Lebkuchen and the Brandy Snaps as well. Just a couple of places left on those. So we really do hope to see many of you online. Now, Jane, Howard and Dan, do you promise me we will all be back for the special Christmas festive episodes? There's been a lot of demand for those. Are we all coming back? Of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't miss it. I'm going to miss speaking to you guys every week. So, yeah, roll on Christmas. You brighten my day, all of you. Do you know what? It has been lovely. It's kind of like uh, just hanging out with your friends and having a coffee. And, yeah, I just kind of forget that other people are going to listen to this sometimes. Maybe I should be a little (laughs) bit more careful. But yeah, no, 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 surely not. But yeah, no, it's just it's lovely to to chat, and I look forward to doing it for Christmas, especially because we have two people from my season are back. We have uh, Kim Joy and we have John, of course. So two of my favourites from the tent. So I shall look forward to commenting on their bakes and hopefully not ripping them to shreds. Why change the habits of a lifetime, Dan? (laughs) All there is left to say is thank you so much for listening. Um, If you did enjoy uh, listening, you're welcome to leave a review, and we look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks time for those festive episodes we'll speak to you all soon bye
heard a stripped media production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.